I'll never forget the words of a dying woman. And she was surprised that so many of us had come to visit her in her final day. Because she said it. This is where she said she was surprised. She said, I never did the big thing. Only the small one. And I thought about this. And I had wanted to have an opportunity to talk about it with her. But the cancer would have its opportunities before I had mine. But I want you to think about that phrase that she said. She said, I never did the big things, only the small ones. I think those who visited her had recognized a profound truth, which is that was not true. When we look at things from an eternal standpoint, it changes the way that we value them. And the things that we consider big oftentimes become small, and the things that we think are small become big. And Paul understood this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, when writing to the Corinthians and all their problems, he knew that what their problem was is in part that they had valued these things incorrectly. And so he writes for 2 Corinthians 4, 17, he says, For our momentary light suffering is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Now, as Andy pointed out, first of all, he talks about eternal, okay? It's referring to time without end. Time, and it's big. And then he says, weight. Okay, it means it, means it matters. It's kind of like when we say something has gravity. Okay, we're not saying usually it literally means gravity. We're saying things like the gravity of the situation. It has meaning to it. And it has contrast with what is said before when it says temporary light. Okay? Temporarily, it's time, but it's short. And it's light, it doesn't have gravity. So, there's two things being compared here. One pair is big, and one pair is small. And I don't think, though, that Paul is saying here that these afflictions, that they lack intensity. He's saying that they lack duration. Because if you look at his history, you will notice that he went through some things that none of us would have said. We probably would have not described as life. Go read about Jesus' life. Look what he did. Okay, That is not life. The way we think about it. But you have to look at the other word. This is why it's light. Because it only lasts for a moment. It's light in that sense. And that glory is heavy because it lasts forever. For eternity. Let me ask you this. Let's say there's this large pizza. It's Giordano's. Because Giordano's makes the best pizza. (laughs) Trust me. You should just try it. And it's a really large pizza. It's as wide as you can imagine. It's as deep as you can imagine, which is actually if you're probably right down as you know what that makes sense. But it exists for zero time. How much does it weigh? You say it weighs nothing. Because how long something lasts has everything to do with its value. If it doesn't last for any time, then it's no thing at all. It doesn't matter. But that's what Paul's point is here. If you were to take largest number, you multiply it by zero, it's zero. But you take a tiny number, and you multiply infinity, and now it's big. And so the time that it lasts matters. And when you understand that, when you want, you just have to think about the things that matter are the things that last forever. That's how you think about it. What Paul's saying here. 
And when you think like that, it's going to reorder the things that you think are important in this life. For example, C.S. Lewis points out, he says, do you know that you have never talked to a mere mortal? Ever. What that means is that the people that you snub, and the people that you gossip about, and the people that you love, and marry, and date, these people, they last forever. Right? There are, he says, no ordinary people. And when you recognize the weight of this, you're well on your way to treating them differently. And that means, Lewis points out, he says that nations, cultures, civilizations, businesses, fame, these all have a lifetime of a gnat compared to one person. Compared to one person. And when you see this, you will see people as having overwhelming possibilities. And that means that other than God, your neighbor is the most important thing. Okay, you know the first and second commands. I'm sure you know them well. Love God, love your neighbor. But why are they important? Because they both last forever. I mean, this. What's command number three? Do you even know? I don't know, either. <laughs> the point is, it must be a distant third. Okay, that's the point. And then think about this word, wait. Okay, if you know, I got a degree in science, but you don't need a degree to know this, that you can measure several things about an object, different things. And just because you get a high number on one attribute doesn't mean you get a high number of attributes. So you can measure the size, you can measure the weight, you can know the color. And just because it has a lot of size doesn't mean it has a lot of weight. Okay? And that means that's why you get things like a large balloon. It's large in size. But it has no weight. But you know, if you take just a tiny piece of a neutron star, like the size of a piece of sand, it will have so much weight that literally everything will just get sucked into it. It's small in size, but it is large in weight. And what that means is we have to think about what is God measuring? Is he measuring size or is he measuring weight? And we have to measure things the way that he measures Think about how many times Jesus says the first will be last and the last will be first. So what he's telling you is the way that this world weighs things is not the way that God weighs them. He is looking at one thing, but he is measuring the way we measure things is different than what he's looking at. Look at Matthew 25, verse 40. He says, it says, I tell you the truth, that just as you did it for one of the least, of these brothers or sisters of mine. You did it for me. But do you notice how he's making it small? He says, one small thing for the least, and that means something to me. I think what he's talking about is he's talking about the way that we size things. We size them wrong. Contrast Matthew 25 with Matthew chapter 7. Though. Because here, he's talking about people who did the big things, I'm going to paraphrase this. He says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not preach beautiful sermons in your name? And in your name get PhDs? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Okay, it's not exactly what he says. His is bigger. 
he says that these people who did prophecy and cast out demons, he said, I didn't even know you. These are the big things. Look, I know people who've gotten PhDs. I know people who can preach good sermons. I don't know anybody who cast out demons. I don't know a prophet. But he's saying, you guys didn't, you did the big thing. You didn't know what I, what I wanted. When we get home, we are going to go to a place where there are no demons. There are going to be no wounds to be healed. But it is going to be a place that is going to be filled with little acts of love. And when you, when you think about this, you think about the things that we consider big things and small things, you start to see all these examples of these small things that really matter. I'll just give you one. I heard this story of a woman. And she was sitting in an old day. She had her kids. One kid was one month old and scream crying. She's trying to check out. She has also has a four-year-old. And the four-year-old was trying, the four-year-old was trying to help by scanning slash almost dropping each object. And she says, this is a scene of chaos. Okay? And everybody's, everybody's watching her. Right? It's, just, it's pure chaos. And then there's this woman. This other woman comes to her and she says, how can I help? And not in that, that judgmental, oh, I see you can't handle this kind of way. <laughs> but in that girl, I've been there kind of way. And she said she knew that it was real. That this was somebody who was really asking. And so this person helped to get checked out. And this, this mother's leaving, and it's snowing outside. She, she sees that it's snowing. And she, she asks this woman, could you just stay with my kids? Well, I go get the car. So she comes, she gets the kids, puts them in the car, and she drives off. And then she says, she just starts crying. And she says, it wasn't even just crying, it was ugly crying. <laughs> and she said, part of it was because of the pent-up frustration, but she said, mostly, quote, it was because of what she had done for me. How long could this have gone? Five minutes? Ten minutes? The person helped her for like ten minutes? But it was a big deal for her. It was small, but it was not small. That's the point. And she says, it was the reason why she did them that mattered. She says, there was something I saw on her face, something you don't see every day, and that is kindness. I knew I could tell that she wanted to help me. She actually wanted to help me. And then she shares a profound insight. She says, she knows that this person didn't just come and look at her and be like, oh man, that's so bad, I really feel bad for her. She didn't do that. And she didn't just walk up and, and give her a pat on the back and say, I get it. Okay. She didn't even just do that. She actually helped. And so her profound insight, the most profound insight was that there was a huge difference between being nice and being kind. Then she goes on. She says, that Jesus' command of loving thy neighbor, that I don't think Jesus intended it to be as hard as we sometimes make it out to be. Because in Jesus' view, the way you do this is you do one small thing at a time. 
great. God is not asking you to be great according to this world's definition. He is asking you to be great according to the next world's definition. That's why he says, if you want to be great, you be a servant. Be small, according to this world's definition. And what I love about this passage is that means anyone can do this. Because you don't need to be rich to serve. You don't need to be successful to serve. You don't need to be famous to serve. You don't need a PhD to serve. You don't need to know Greek to serve. You don't need to know Hebrew to serve. You just need to do one good thing when no one's watching. Serve. You do not need to be great in this world to be great. You do not. But let's consider a counterexample. In Acts chapter 5, we read of Ananias and Sapphira. A lot of people are confused by this passage because it seems so shocking. The background is the church is sharing everything. They're selling their property and just sharing it amongst themselves. And then Ananias and Sapphira, they sell their property and they don't give all of it. But they imply that they have. And Peter asks Ananias, did you give it all? Ananias lies and instantly falls dead. And then he asks Sapphira, and she lies, and she falls dead. And you're thinking, what is going on here? I mean, they they did this good thing. It was just that they didn't give all of it. Like, what could be the big deal? But let me suggest that we're focusing on the wrong thing. It was not the size of the gift that mattered. It was why they gave it that mattered. And Peter basically says this in Acts 5, verse 4. He says, did it not belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? You didn't have to give, and you didn't have to give at all. That's not the problem here. It was not the size that mattered. It was why they gave it. Because they didn't give it for the right reason. We're supposed to do these things because we're like Christ. We're not just supposed to do them. We're supposed to do them as an extension of us being different types of people. And a lot of people look at this passage and it's like, you know, it's kind of like communism. Let me tell you, as a guy who's right on communism, it's not because communism will punish you for not giving the right amount, but these were punished for not giving for the right reason. God does not want your money. He wants your heart. And when he gets your heart, he gets everything else too. We choose wrong all the time. Right? We, we worry about worldly success and money and fame, and we get interested in, in food and sex and all these things. And C.S. Lewis does that it's oftentimes we think that people are a people with passions too strong. But he says this is not so. That our problem is that our passions are actually too weak and we settle for vastly too little. We choose all these finite things instead of choosing better passions, like kindness so deep that it can make a friend out of an enemy. Forgiveness so large that it can swallow a thousand sins. And a love so strong that it extends even to those who will never love us back. And instead, Lewis points out, we're like children who settle for making mud pies in our backyard when we could have gone on vacation and sat at the edge of a foreign mountain looking out at a great ocean sea. So keep reading this passage. Next thing he says, he says, we have an eternal weight of glory. Now, I'm going to guess a lot of you aren't going around saying, I'm looking forward to that glory in the next world. Okay, but why don't we talk about that? That's what he said, right? 
And I think the reason we don't say that is that we think that this sounds like us being arrogant, like me having glory over other people. And so let me suggest that your sensibility is right, but that's not what Paul's talking about here. He is talking about glory from your father. He is not comparing you to your peers. It is glory that a superior gives to an inferior. And so it is not about us putting ourselves above our fellow people. It's about how God looks at us. And it has been said, if you've heard this phrase, we serve an audience of one. Our main, our main goal in life, it sums up in Matthew 25, verse 23, just to hear him say, my good and faithful servant, right? It's about how he looks at us, not about how our peers look at things. And if you keep reading on, there's so much in this passage that aligns with what I'm saying, because he says, for you have been faithful with a few things. Small. So I'm going to give you bigger things. It's small, but at least to bigger things. And then he says, enter into the joy of your master. See, it's not relative to here. It's relative to how evil. We enter heaven like a child. And what child doesn't want to make their father happy? The glory here is feeling the acceptance of a superior to an inferior, like a child before its parents, a student before its teacher, like a creation before its creator. Ryan refers, not to this passage, but to the idea. First Corinthians 8, verse 3, he says, The one who loves God is known by God. Now, if you stop and think about this, it's like, well, I thought God do everything. Yes, but he's clearly not referring to that. He is talking about how he knows us, but he means by that being welcomed and accepted by us. That's the kind of glory I think he's talking about. Now, just to say that the New Testament is talking about glory in different ways. It does. Talks of crowns and power and judging angels and all these other things. So these other things are there too. And I even wondered, you know how the, the transfiguration, Peter sees the transfiguration, and he also sees Moses and Elijah, and he says, let's make three tabernacles. And we're like, face palm. Like, come on. The cuties in one one. What's wrong with you, Peter? <laughs> so what if we're being too hard on? First John 3, 2 says that we don't know who will eventually be. And so maybe if we fall, how we will eventually be, maybe two, we will be tempted. And there are more than one passage. The New Testament and Old Testament says that one day we will shine like the sun. This is what Peter says. But the reality is, you don't have to be a Christian to realize that there's something beyond this world. This is what causes people to doubt their worldview because they see something. David Brooks tells the story. He had a friend who just had a child. And his friend said to him, Did I realize I love my daughter more than evolution required? And what she felt was a love that she recognized was beyond this world. It didn't make sense in this world. And if we are made for another world, does that mean that we should expect that we will have desires that cannot be satisfied in this world? And People get this one all the time, and they'll tell you, oh, there's no such thing as heaven. But then they go on and they make entire worldviews that are an attempt to make heaven on earth. Right? Scientists will say things like, oh, we're just a, a tiny piece of cosmic dust on a slightly larger piece of cosmic dust called earth. And then they go home and they love their children. 
and they never explain to them that they're just little pieces of cosmic dust. <laughs> and so it is tempting. But, but we can't blame them, because it says, Ecclesiastes 3.11, God has placed eternity in our hearts. And that's what's going on there. And so, when people who think that only nature exists, we may be tempted to say that they love nature too deeply, but let me suggest that the problem is that they do not love nature deeply enough, because if they did, they'd love not only nature, but the one who gave it. And the painter does not love his painting too deeply, but too shallowly, when he doesn't realize that that painting captures a tiny glimpse of a country we have not yet visited. And the songwriter does not love her music too deeply, but too shallowly when she doesn't see that every song captures a tiny tune of a new song we have not yet sung. So I want you to imagine it's a billion years in the future. The song has long been extinguished and the first earth is gone. And that door that you and I have been knocking on all our life has finally been opened. And we have visited that country and we have sung that new song. So I want you to imagine you're standing there at the edge of the crystal sea where there is no night, and you're thinking back to your life that you had had before under the sun. And you start thinking about all the things that they seemed like such a big deal back then, and now they seem like nothing. And all the things at the time you thought were small that you now realize were big. Things like that temporary awkwardness you had talking to your friend about Jesus, but all of a sudden, it seems like nothing when they too became a Christian and now are here with you for eternity. Or there's that tiny act of kindness that you just completely forgot about. But your friend who's here with you, they remembered and they have mentioned it to you. And now it's a memory that you and this person will share for eternity. And then there's the kind of character, the kind of character that can only be forged in the affliction of an imperfect world, but whose benefit you now carry with you the perfect so you start thinking, what would I tell myself? If I could have gone back a billion years ago and I would have told myself something, what would I have said? And perhaps you would say something like this. You would remind yourself that your hope is not in your intelligence. Your hope is not in your country. Your hope is not in your success. It is not in your money. It is not in your beauty. It is not in your health. It is not in your fame because it is not in this world at all. You have an eternal, an eternal way to glory in another place. On Judgment Day, education, wealth, social standing, beauty, none of these things count. Because the rules are entirely different. And if you have nothing but the sort of thing that this world considers important, then you will have all the right answers to all the wrong questions. Be like taking a class in old English literature and then showing up to the final exam and your teacher can do a calculus exam. And there are people in this world that, that can convince millions of people millions of miles away that they are an expert. That they can convince their own families with their love. There are people who can send others to the moon and back that they can't find the time to eat dinner with the family in their own home. You see, what's happened here is these people have chosen size that they have not chosen weight. There's a story that's told about how people broke into the store and they just changed all the price tags. They didn't damage anything, they didn't steal anything, they just changed the price tags. 
everything chaos. And it tells you something, though, that you don't have to damage or steal. You just have to change the value to cause chaos. And that's exactly what our world has done. But I'll tell you, if you've gone to a funeral, all the price tags change. Eulogies do not include your career achievements. They do not include a list of patents. They do not include your list of trophies. They do not include your GPA. And if they do, that's even more so. And so live not for the sort of thing that you put on your resume. Live for the sort of thing that people are going to say about you at your eulogy. And live life as if you are looking back from that eternity, knowing that the things that this world calls the small things are actually the big things. The big things are the small things. So you do those small things and you do them over and over and over and over and over again until you come to the end of your life when you will say with contentment in your heart that I never did the big things, only the small things.